lot of places we can be denied. That's right. Other than the house of God. I'm glad that we have the opportunity and the freedom to be able to come and worship uh, the way that we see fit. Yep. Uh, not everyone in this world has this opportunity. There's places over all around the world where it's illegal to be a Christian. We've supported missionaries over in Kazakhstan and uh, other places that uh, they can't let anybody know that they're a, they're a missionary. They have to go in under some kind of work visa and uh, get a job and then have underground church. It's a scary thing. Uh, just a couple of years ago, uh, one that we knew uh, graduated out of Crown College, same as, same as I did. Uh, they were murdered in foreign okay. country that's found out they had uh, they were missionaries. So uh, it is uh, a privilege that God has given us to be able to worship in this country. Yes, sir. Freely. We don't know how much longer that's going to last. You never know. Uh, this is a young country. There's many countries much older than we are. But for such a young country, we are considered the most powerful nation in the world. And uh, it's only, I believe, because God has blessed us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we need to bless God yep. every turn. Well, I do like to start a little series tonight. Uh, I say a little, but uh, it's never little when you start a sermon series. <laughs> Out of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, I'm going to look at tonight, just the first 14 verses, Lord willing. And uh, cover a few things before we start reading any text. We're going to just kind of give you a little synopsis or a rundown of, of this book. And uh, first of all, there's 28 chapters in this book. It's not the shortest book in the New Testament by any means, but it's not the longest. Uh, there's 1,007 verses altogether, and you could read through it in a day without any problem if you sit down and just uh, put your mind to it to read. Uh, the human penman of the book is unmistakably uh, the gospel writer Luke. Luke the physician, Luke, uh, the same one who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Uh, the book of Acts is kind of a continuation of the book of Luke, or the Gospel of Luke. It was written to the same man, the same man uh, Luke had in mind that he was writing to, a man called Theophilus. Now, this man's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible except in Luke's writing, so he was obviously someone that Luke was friends with or acquainted with. And uh, was introducing him to the things of God, the things of Christ. Uh, if you look back in Luke chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, you see how he introduced that book. He said, it seemed good to me, also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know with the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. So Theophilus has been instructed of the things of the Lord, and Luke is writing this and saying, I, I think I need to cover some things so that you know those things you've heard, that they're the truth. And so with certainty, he said. And so what he's doing, he's running down all the things that the Lord Jesus Christ has done and what all Jesus is about. And then when he gets to the, the book of Acts, it's the, kind of the second part. He calls, calls it here, uh, um, the former treatise, he's talking about the book of Luke. So this is this treatise, so two different uh, books written, but following the same pattern. There in the first chapter of Acts 1, it's, or first verse of Acts chapter 1, it says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. And so in, in Luke, he was telling him about the things that, that Jesus did. And, uh, the, uh, it says in, uh, to teach, Jesus began both to do and to teach. So the teachings of Christ. 
And now in the book of Acts, he's going to kind of switch gears a little bit and see the, the fallout of everything that Jesus taught and did. And uh, how the church gets empowered. And that's really one of the main uh, importance of this book is how the church began. How the church was empowered there on the day of Pentecost and how it grew and multiplied. And how the Lord worked through that church and through his preachers. And, uh, and how it got to where we're at today in this very church, Northside Baptist Church. If it had not been for the things that happened in the book of Acts, this church would not exist. And so this is a very important uh, uh, text that we have here in the scripture. Mm -hmm. And so Luke ends uh, in the book of Luke with Jesus ascending to heaven and the disciples gathering in Jerusalem. Well, Acts picks that back up and he kind of covers it a little bit more about Jesus's ascension up into heaven, but he gives a lot more detail about it in the book of Acts. And so he tells him, tells about that event. And uh, of course, it's believed to have been written in Rome around 60 to 65 AD sometime. Hard to pinpoint exactly because it doesn't tell us in the text, but with all the events that occurred, it uh, naturally fell within that time period, AD 60 to 65 probably. Uh, the name of the book, typically, if your Bible's like mine, I, I use an old Schofield King James Bible, and he has put up here at the top of this uh, book, the Acts of the Apostles. Mm -hmm. And most uh, Bibles say that. However, I believe there's a better, better title. I believe it's the Acts of Jesus Christ through his apostles. Yeah. And so I like to make that distinction of the book of Acts. Um, the subject of the book, as we just said, is the acts of Jesus Christ through his apostles, the things that he's enabled them to do, empowered them to do. We see in the book of Acts the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit given to men, and all the things that God has allowed men to do through the Holy Spirit. Uh, it covers the history, the beginning of the New Testament church. It covers the preaching of the gospel from Peter to the Jews, and then on through the preaching of the gospel from Paul to the Gentiles. Uh, we see the Gentile, the plan that God had for the Gentile to be grafted in to the to the uh, to the gospel, to the to uh, salvation, and then the ending of the book of Acts seems to end kind of abruptly. It's just like out of nowhere. It's almost as if Luke didn't have time to finish what the Holy Spirit was, uh, you know, uh, breathing in him to to write down. Some say he may have been martyred before he actually got to finish the book. Uh, some say he had to run out of Rome, make a hasty retreat because they were trying to rid Rome of all the Christians at the time. Uh, it ends, the book of Acts ends with Paul finally being able to go and preach in Rome. That was his heart's desire to do that. His whole time he was on the mission field. He wanted to go to Rome and he finally got to go there even though it was in bonds. But he got to go and he got to preach to those Romans. Yeah. Uh, in Acts 28 31, it says, Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. And then the book just ends. And so we don't get to find out from the Bible what occurred to Paul, what happened to him, how he was taken out, had his head chopped off, and things like that. It's what uh, uh, history tells us. Uh, but the Bible doesn't give us those details because it just kind of ends right there. And so we start out with an attempt to cover these first 14 verses. And uh, some of these I won't spend as much time on. But uh, look there at verse 1 again. Acts 1 and 1. The Bible says, The former treatise, Have I made O Theophilus of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. So 
When Luke starts out by mentioning his former uh, writings that he wrote, uh, he wrote uh, the volume of writings, he calls it a treatise. And this, of course, is the Gospel of Luke that he's, he's mentioning, and we've already mentioned that. And so this is considered volume two of Luke's writings, and uh, to the same person, Theophilus. Now, unfortunately, we don't know a lot about Theophilus. Uh, like I said, he's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible except in Luke's writings. And so don't know much about him, but we can tell a few things simply just by his name. Uh, his name is a Greek name, and it means friend of God. Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke addresses him as most excellent Theophilus. That's not a greeting you normally gave to a Jew. It's usually given to a Gentile or a Roman, a Roman official, uh, such as what Paul uh, did to Felix, the governor. In Acts 23 and 26, he, he greeted Felix, uh, Felix like this, most excellent governor Felix. So we may be safe to assume that this Theophilus also is a... Uh, uh, a Roman. He's got a position of power of some type. Uh, we don't know that for a fact because the Bible doesn't tell us, and I'm never one to say the Bible said this when it don't. So uh, just take that for what you will. Study it on your own. All right, look at verse 2 and 3. Acts chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he was through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days as speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so what Luke is doing here, he's giving us a quick background of the events that had taken place uh, at the ascension of Christ. Uh, he appeared to his disciples, and we all remember the story after Jesus came back and uh, he arose from the dead, and the grave was empty, and the women went to see it. They came running, saying that, you know, his tomb is empty. They've taken him, and then he appears in front of them. And many of them are, they don't quite know how to handle it. Uh, well, he appeared unto many. He appeared unto his disciples. Here they're called apostles. And uh, he was with them for 40 days, teaching them about the things of the kingdom of God. Right. And that was always one of their main concerns about what was going to happen in the future. What was the kingdom going to be like? When was he going to start setting up his earthly kingdom? When were they going to rule and reign along with him? When was he going to take over where the Romans had took over? And so they had all these questions about him. And uh, that's natural. We would do the same sure. thing. We just are naturally inquisitive. You know, inquiring minds one another. <laughs> and what it says. Uh, and we like to know these things. Well, the apostles were no different. They, they wanted to know what was going to happen in the future. And so uh, some things the Lord just wasn't going to tell them. He tells them it's, not, it's none of their business at this time. Look at verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, You have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And so Jesus tells them they need to stay, stick around for a little bit. You need to stay here in Jerusalem until you receive because of the promise of the Father. Now, the promise of the Father is the gift of the Holy Spirit. You remember John chapter 14 when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, and he's telling them, I'm going to go away, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. And they were questioning and everything, and he says, I'm going to, uh, there's going to be another, another that's going to come, a comforter. The comforter, that's the gift. 
of the Father's going to send in Jesus' place. Yep. You see, Jesus is going away. He's going to go sit on the right hand of the Father. Right. The disciples or the apostles are going to stand around and say, what do we do? Well, the Lord gifts them with the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. That's Baptist. We like that good Holy Ghost. That's right. Uh, I'm not afraid of it. And so uh, the promise of the Holy Ghost to empower them to do mighty works in the name of the gospel. Now, these works were not witchcraft. They were not some kind of voodoo or anything like that. They were not for their own personal gain. They were to glorify God and to usher in the kingdom of God and to empower the New Testament church. That's what the gifts are for. Yep. The, acts, the, the, the apostles were given these, these uh, uh, apostolic gifts that many of these, I believe, do not are no longer uh, valid, and we'll talk about it, that at another time when we get there. But uh, the Holy Ghost is the one that's going to come and uh, empower these men and the church. Look at verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? So there it is. <laughs> there's, there's the, the uh, questioning minds. We want to know. Lord, what's up? You know, you, I know you've already been crucified. You've risen again. You've appeared here to us, to us for 40 days, and you say you're going to leave. Now, what's next? When, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, what that means is they're tired of Rome. Yeah. Rome came in after the Greeks. Rome came in, defeated the Grecians, and, and set up there. They, they uh, kind of enslaved all the Jews, really. They put Jews under their rule. So the Jews were paying taxes to the Romans. They hate that. They're ruling over them. They gave them a little bit of leeway with the Jewish leaders and elders. They allowed them to do a few things. And they had some, some guys that set up that called themselves kings, but they didn't have a lot of power. Yeah. Rome was in power. And the Jews absolutely hated that. And all of the time, in the back of their mind, when is the, the Messiah going to come and run these guys out of here and set things back up the way it's supposed to be? Right. And that's what they're looking for. They were expecting the kingdom in their day. Yep. They expect the Messiah in their day and time to set up the kingdom and rule and reign from the throne of David at that time. But that's not how it happened. Now, he could have. But you know what? He came unto his own, and his own received him not. They rejected the Messiah. Yep. Now, they could have accepted him. He could have set up his earthly kingdom right then, ruled and reigned, and, and uh, it had been wonderful. But no, that's not what happened. And so look what Jesus tells to them. After they ask him about restoring this earth, when are you going to do this? Verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. So uh, he doesn't beat around the bush right here. He's not going to, you know, say, Well, you know, maybe, you know, you're just, no. He says, Look, it's not, it's not, you're, it's not your business. It's not time for you to know. There's going to be a time, but it's not now. And so I'm not going to spend time here trying to tell you when that time is going to be, but the Father has that time in store. Right. He knows when it's going to be. Right. And so we find here that uh, the Father is the one who knows when that time is going to be. Now, we know that Jesus is God, and, and for a lot of people, this is difficult to understand. Well, why didn't Jesus know? Well, there were certain things that the Lord did when, in, in his earthly form as a man where he kind of... Uh, did not he, he did not utilize his his uh, the power that he had uh, his divine power in times such as this so that he did not know that time it was simply for the father to know that time and this is one of those occasions and it's not it's not difficult to understand uh, he is called the son of man many times for a reason yeah. 
And so he identifies with man, and as a man, he, he kind of uh, did not utilize his uh, uh, divine power and knowledge to for certain things like this. Now look at verse 8. He said, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses <coughs> unto me, both in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, don't let that little statement get by you where he said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what a scary and sobering thing that must have been for the, the apostles as they heard Jesus say that. They're probably looking around, what? what? There's going to be a Holy Ghost come upon us and going to cause us to do all these things? Uh, this is something they've never experienced before. Mm -hmm. Now, they've experienced the power of, of the Lord. Right. They've experienced being able to perform miracles at times. Uh, they, they've seen the many uh, marvelous miracles and things that, that the Lord had done. But uh, this is different. Uh, the Holy Ghost is going to come upon them. And uh, that's what it says. It's after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Last time we see the Holy Ghost come upon someone, uh, the Lord Jesus was born of a virgin. And so this is going to be something powerful that's going to happen to these men. And I'm sure this was something that uh, was unlike anything they've ever known before. Uh, but they know they're going to receive some kind of power. They don't know exactly what it's going to be. And uh, But afterwards, they're going to be preaching all over the world. Jesus says, you're going to be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, where they're at at the time. Remember, he said, don't leave Jerusalem. They're there right now. You're going to preach here. <coughs> you're going to preach in all of Judea. Jerusalem's in Judea. So you're going to preach in all these other cities, all around here in Judea. And not only that, but in Samaria, <coughs> where I told you before not to go. Where I told you before, <coughs> we're going to stay away from those people. But now, he says, you're going to even preach in Samaria. And not only there, but under the uttermost part of the earth. Where's that? Everywhere. That's everywhere. That means anywhere there's a, a living, breathing soul that you're going to you're going to preach to. Yep. So it can be in the in the jungles of Africa or the Amazon or wherever, <laughs> wherever they're going to go, wherever the Lord tells them to go. The Holy Ghost is going to go with them. Yep. And so they're going to experience this power uh, that Jesus is going to allow them to have here. Uh, he's, it's the same type of power he had for those three and a third years that they walked with him. And I'm sure they're overwhelmed right now understanding this is about to happen to us. And it's the greatest thing to ever happen. <coughs> now, if you remember the first time Jesus sent these guys out uh, before all this, they were not to take the message worldwide. That wasn't the plan at the time. In Matthew 10, 5 through 7, the Bible says, These twelve Jesus sent forth, and commanded them, saying, Go not in the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And go preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. But now he tells him to preach in the most parts of the earth. And so we see the difference here. Uh, you see, the Lord Jesus came to introduce himself to his people, the Jew, and that was his main focus when he came as their Messiah. But since they rejected him, and the, the Gentile was grafted in, well, now he's saying, I want you to go all over this world. I want you to preach to the Gentile, the Jew. I don't care who it is. I want you to preach them all. All right, look at verse 9. We'll look at 9 through 11 together. 
And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Wow. What an awesome experience that must have been. That's right. They, I mean, I've never seen anything like that. I mean, they try. They, they may try to do things on the movies, you know, <laughs> to overwhelm you, but they, they come nowhere near that. Nope. Uh, can you imagine, though, standing there and all of a sudden the Lord just starts going up in the air? I mean, there he goes. He's on a cloud and just gone. And they're all sitting there <clears> doing <throat> this. <laughs> well, wouldn't you? Yeah, sure. I would. I'd be looking at my neck and get broke. I'd be looking so hard. And here comes these, these angels. By the way, angels are always men. Masculine. There's not a woman angel in the Bible. <laughs> I'll preach on that sometime and you, you'll be, you might be amazed like some people were. But an angel is always masculine. There's never a feminine form of an angel. Even though you may see them on TV or little statues, there's no such thing. They're all masculine. But these two angels come down. It says two men stood by them in white apparel. Those are angels. And they must have been humongous. And in the Bible, whenever you see an angel enter, and, and a lot of times they're called men, when you see them come on the scene, they are terrifying. Uh, a lot of times they're humongous. They're, they, they're, and people fall down on the ground like they're going to die. But these two come up and they, they tell them, well, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, he's taken up for you into heaven. He'll come back in like manner if you see him go into heaven. And so they kind of set them straight there. Uh, but can you imagine for the rest of their lives how these apostles would have been telling the story? Yeah. I can see them sitting around the supper table at night telling the kids and the wife and, you know, anybody to come over to visit. Oh, let, let me tell you about what happened. You know, me and, and uh, you know, Peter and, and James and John, we were all... <laughs> We were all over there, and uh, Jesus, he just like went right up in the air uh, on a cloud and disappeared. And then suddenly these, these great big angels come down and start asking us why we're looking up in the sky. It was, it was something. You just, <laughs> wow. And so I'm sure they told that story over and over. And you imagine that anywhere they went, somebody said, hey, 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 there's that guy. He's, he's one of them. They saw those angels. He saw Jesus. Tell them about that. Yeah. I don't know. I think of things like that. Yeah. All right, look at verse 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, the Sabbath day's journey. All right, so they're up on Mount Olivet, or the Mount of Olives, as it's also referred to in the Bible. This sits 700 feet above Jerusalem. It's up. Anytime you see in the Bible people going to Jerusalem, they're going up to Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem is up. Oh. Everything's up, up. And so this place, Mount Olivet, is even higher, 700 feet above the city of Jerusalem. You can see the entire uh, city from the top of that. Uh, on the west side of the mount was the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus wept and shed, or his, his sweat became his great drops of blood, the Bible tells us. Same place. Uh, that phrase right there, a Sabbath day's journey, don't be confused about that. That sounds like it's like, uh, it takes a week, but it don't. A Sabbath day's journey is how long they can travel on the Sabbath day. That's all that means. Uh, so what it, what it is, it's the legal distance a Jew can travel on a Sabbath from one place to the other. 
You could only travel so many steps. The distance was 2,000 paces. That's as far as you could go. If you walk more than 2,000 paces on the Sabbath, you've broken the law. Now, that was not God's law. That was not Moses' law. That was laws that these uh, Pharisees and, and rabbis and Jewish teachers and all these, they're ones they made up. And so they had hundreds upon hundreds of laws they invented to try to keep people in place. And that's one of them. Well, you cannot walk any more than 2,000 paces on the Sabbath. Can you imagine how hard that made things? I mean, you know, every, every Sabbath, something's going on over at somebody's house. Well, we can't go there. It's 2,000. It's more 2,000 paces. <laughs> and so uh, they made it really hard on it. So this distance was obviously uh, about a mile away under a mile and so they walked back this uh, this place uh, back to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives probably took I don't know probably take more than 30 minutes at the most I'd say uh, verse 13 and when they were come in they went up into an upper room <coughs> where both, both Peter and James and John and Andrew Philip and Thomas Bartholomew and Matthew James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zealots and Judas the brother of James all right, this upper room that they congregated in was most likely in a second or third story uh, level of a house there in, in Jerusalem, someone's home. It's not the room above the temple, as some people have said, but it's probably in somebody's house. It could have been one of the disciples' homes. It could have been, uh, you know, a friend or family members. Nearly all the houses in Jerusalem had these upper rooms built into them. And these upper rooms, they used them for certain things, like teaching, uh, teaching scripture, having family devotions, uh, coming together just for conversations. They would go up to the upper room where it was nice and private and, you know, nobody would disturb them. And so every single one of the original called disciples were present that day except for Judas Iscariot, which my dad always said, Judas is a carrot, who had already killed himself. And so he's not there. And we know what's going to happen after this, right? We're going to have to the choosing of the, of the next, which we're not going to have time to get into tonight. We're going to finish here. And so uh, these all continued there. Um, look at verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So there's a lot of people in that room. It's, it's not a small room, I guess. Probably a good-sized room, and they're all in there gathered around. All the apostles, so there's 11 of them. And then there's uh, all these women. It says with the women. It doesn't tell us how many. It could have been Mary Magdalene and, and the other Mary and, and the other Mary. There's like four Marys. <laughs> it could have been all of them. We know Jesus' mother Mary was there. Uh, could have been wives of the disciples, the ones that were married. It, you know, whoever it was, it says with his brethren. And so uh, lots of, of people there. Uh, the brethren of Jesus is probably what that's referring to with his brethren, uh, which had finally came around and believed in who Jesus was. Mm -hmm. They didn't at first, but uh, eventually they did. And, uh, of course, his brother James uh, would go on to be like the leader of the church there in Jerusalem. So we uh, let's stop right there for tonight and pick back up uh, next time. Uh, and it's going to give us more details about Judas's death. And uh, covers the choosing of the twelve, uh, the twelfth disciple, and that will finish up chapter one uh, next time, Lord will. All right, let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the reading of your word tonight, for the scripture we've studied. Lord, I pray that it's been helpful. God, I pray that you continue helping us as we 